This is Energy Thinks, a podcast with game-changing leaders about how the oil and gas industry can future-proof against rising social risk and lead the world into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the principal of Adamantine Energy. This season, we're focusing on the bridge from vision to pragmatic execution in game-changing leadership. For example, in today's show, you'll hear about three core principles from which DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion can drive increased productivity. So we're really getting down to brass tacks. On today's show, I speak with Tommy Paris, Director for Diversity and Inclusion at Southern Company Gas. She's been the director since 2018. Tommy began working there in 2013 as a specialist in employee communications. As a result of her efforts, Southern Company Gas was the recipient of the 2018 Roosevelt Thomas Champion of Diversity Award, awarded by the American Association for Access. Tommy holds a Master's of Public Administration from the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga and a Bachelor's of Sociology from Furman University. And there's a fun fact about Tommy that you'll have to listen to today's show to learn. To know more about Energy Thinks podcast and our work at Adam and Teen, visit our website at energythinks.com. Now, I hope you enjoy this conversation with game-changing leader Tommy Paris as much as I did. Tommy, welcome. Thank you for joining me on the Energy Thinks podcast. It's awesome to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So let's start with the end in mind. We're in this crazy global pandemic. Energy prices are depressed. Economic recovery is going to be a long haul. And there is ever-increasing pressure for our industry to address racial equity and justice. Tommy, do you think energy companies can meaningfully make a difference in diversity, equity, and inclusion? Tell us how the world looks to you. Oh, goodness. Absolutely, Tisha. Um, You know, at the end of the day, I think that energy companies um, can, and dare I say must, um, be a leader in making meaningful progress toward racial equity in our country. I mean, you know, when you think about it, the the energy sector powers and fuels the lives of almost every American, right? Almost uh, everywhere we live, we work, we worship, we play, we're right there. And, you know, for us at Southern Company Gas, we are a fuel for life. We deliver clean, safe, reliable, and affordable natural gas. We enrich the lives of our employees, our customers, our communities, and we invest in innovative solutions, offering choice and convenience to our customers. And so, I mean, you know, when you play such a significant role in people's lives, like we do, um, you know, we have to really influence um, where we can and, and make change you know, through our policies and practices as an employer, uh, through the economic impact of our supply chain program, through the workforce development initiatives that attract talented people to our industry, perhaps folks who had never considered industry, uh, the energy industry before, and you know, through our values-driven political engagement with policymakers. So, I mean, I think that's a long-winded uh, way you know, to say absolutely we can make meaningful change uh, in the space of DEI. I really love that. Not only can we make a difference, we must. And you so 
eloquently described energy is really the lifeblood of our economies mm -hmm. in so many ways. Um, and I, I really like that. I've been making the case that racial equity and justice is fundamentally disrupting the way we need to think about how we do business as leaders. So I'm wondering if, if you could tell us, I think of you as a go-to leader in this space. And I'm wondering if you could talk about what you think men, the mental shifts are that leaders across oil and gas need to be making to take on these disruptors in a way that's effective and, and meaningful. Mm, yeah, well, well, thank you for your kind words. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that's that's awesome that that you know myself and, and more important, you know, the the companies that we represent, you know, we we all I think are are leaders um, in this movement. And I really do appreciate your word choice, Tisha, because uh, you use the word movement, and I think you're right to use that word. Um, you know, while I'm not an expert in uh, social movements, uh, but when I think about movements, though. Um, they tend to have somewhat of a predictable life cycle, right? They're created by something significant that happens. Um, they grow, they achieve some successes and maybe some failures, and they eventually dissolve. And hopefully by the time the movement dissolves, um, you know, significant improvements, for example, in policy have been made or uh, legislation, or um, you know, we've integrated some meaningful changes into the systems and structures of the society. And so, for example, right, we've got the civil rights movement, and historians point to the important role that television and journalism played in showing people, you know, quite frankly, the horrors, right, that that were happening mm -hmm. happening to Black people and their allies in the pursuit of justice, right? Um, there saw dogs being let loose on people who marched. Mm -hmm. um, fire hoses were used on people who marched, um, police beating people who marched. And, you know, I think that <clears throat> seeing, you know, those raw realities of experiences of people fighting for justice and equity played a huge part in that mental shift that needed to occur to mobilize folks to, to bring about change. And, you know, similarly, you know, fast forward to 2020, I think the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and so many other Black people in America, seeing the raw uh, reality of people, um, and even uh, Asian Americans, you know, who were experiencing racism and xenophobia uh, due to the racism around COVID-19. I mean, these mm -hmm. raw experiences, you know, I really do think, you know, cause that mental shift uh, to occur to mobilize people to act. And now, I am certainly not uh, suggesting that we want another tragedy or string of tragedies to serve as a reminder of these realities of racism in our country. But what I don't want is for these realities of racism to fade to black in our minds. And, mm. you know, then we look up and, you know, we're back to business as usual, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for us, when I think about that mental shift and keeping the realities of racism top of mind, we have to continue to have these meaningful conversations and, and they're uncomfortable because historically, we've never had this level of truth telling around a topic, mm -hmm. uh, especially around race, right, inside of organizations. And so, you know, both the, the conversations that are formal and informal, they're all part of, for us, our internal strategy to respond um, and, and to really mobilize meaningful, uh, meaningfully in a way that helps us set expectations for us, our employees, our leaders. Uh, to maintain productive dialogue around race and other DEI topics. And so I'll, I'll make a final point um, on this note, Tisha, because, you know, we've really formalized our focus on racial equity into uh, the framework of our supply chain program, 
public affairs, philanthropy, culture, talent practices. And so I think that that's kind of where the magic happens as well, right? Really integrating your values into the core functions of your business. And I think that too will help uh, make that mental shift uh, to where we don't just talk about it, right? But we're actually mm-hmm. going to be about it. That's right. I love that. So much of what you um, said speaks to the need for us to embrace change in an enduring way. And also, even when there's not, we don't want to have an acute crisis to crisis or series of crises to make progress. Um, And so let's transition to talking um, about pragmatics. So the vision is strong, enduring change, deep change, meaningful change. Um, and one of the things that I've learned, one of the many things I've learned from you, Tommy, is how you and your team define diversity, inclusivity, and equity. And I think it's actually really valuable for this podcast and for our listeners to just start with how you, you define and talk about those three um, items. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think it's so important, you're right, to really kind of start, um, you know, at ground zero. What do we mean by these words that we're using? Because a lot of times, you know, we have uh, a lot of different understandings and definitions of things. And sometimes, you know, that can, you know, create, uh, you know, opportunities where clarity is needed. And, um, you know, for us, we, we try to be very clear on what our pursuit is and, and how we pursue them through uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, so for us, we define diversity, quite frankly, as the broad array of characteristics that make us who we are. And, you know, they make us different, they make us unique, and they're, and, you know, definitely include, you know, race and ethnicity and gender, sex, uh, gender identity and expression and age and all of those different factors, sexual orientation and veteran status and national origin, life experiences, I mean, you name it, right? Mm-hmm. So economic status. And so those are the, the aspects of difference um, that exist among us. And and equity is really, uh, you know, our way of, of looking at the outcomes, right? Looking at the results from, you know, the, the practices, um, the policies that we have, that we have, and ensuring, you know, fair treatment and access and opportunity and advancement for everybody. Um, striving really to make sure that we identify and eliminate the barriers that have uh, served to prevent people from fully participating. And, and being and bringing their best in our organizations. And what that means for us is um, being able to identify and understanding that there are different barriers and challenges faced by you know, historically marginalized folks, right? Uh, those are facts and we have data to point to those facts. Um, and acknowledging that fairness requires us addressing those unbalanced uh, conditions. And, and then the final note on inclusion, uh, that's really where the, the, the juice is for me. Um, we talk a lot about the intentional practices of valuing diversity, both you know, as an individual and as an organization um, by really being intentional around creating and then fostering a, an environment where everybody's differences are valued, respected, mm. and welcomed. So that's how we like to define DEI. Mm, thank you. That's really helpful. And for our listeners, we'll put some notes on that in the show notes because I know you couldn't write that all down fast enough. So we'll, we'll refer back to that. I actually have um, Tommy's definitions printed for me on my desk to help uh, remind me the importance of all three aspects in our work every day. 
Um, okay, Tommy. So one of the things we want to do is get, give our listeners some really um, pragmatic ideas. And one of the, there's just so many cool things Southern Company Gas is doing um, in this space and, and engaging leadership. So one of the things that you're doing is you have a TEDx um, style program where leaders um, talk about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion within the company. Can you tell us a little bit, whatever whatever you're allowed to share about how leaders have um, embraced or resisted participating? I imagine it's terrifying. How, ha- how has this been received by employees? Yeah, you're so right. So um, I love TED Talks and uh, we actually just shamelessly lifted uh, <laughs> the format um, and, and kind of made it our own. And so we call them DNI Talks and uh, we created this model. It's called Discover and Discuss. Um, and, and it's basically an opportunity where we learn insights from our leaders um, who are amazing, by the way, I, I tell you. Um, you know, they are so um, eager to lean in and to contribute where they can. And so they, they you know, volunteer to speak on a topic uh, that's related to DEI. Uh, usually it's related to their personal journey. Mm. You know, it's usually around you know, 12 to 15 minutes. And uh, you know, they express uh, you know, their thoughts and, and ideas. And it's a beautiful thing because what it does is, Tisha, it really helps to humanize our leaders. Um, you know, it, and it gets us away from that corporate speak that sometimes mm can be a little bit, yeah, inaccessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it really creates an opportunity where people can see our leaders express their, uh, their thoughts around DEI in an authentic way. And, and so after their talk, we you know, come together in small groups and discuss um, you know, what they shared, what resonated with you, what surprised you, uh, mm-hmm. what did you hear uh, that you hadn't considered before. And um, it's just a, a really uh, powerful uh, experience for people. I think people have really uh, benefited from it. That's wonderful. It takes so much vulnerability and courage to engage yeah. probably both as a speaker and as a participant in the small group um, conversations. I, I, I love that you're doing that. Um, still on the pragmatic track, there's a lot of great business reasons in addition to values reasons to in, embrace um, diversity, equity, inclusion in a meaningful way. And, and you've outlined three core principles that tie this work directly to productivity. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about those? Yeah, well, you, you really did your research. I, I remember <laughs> uh, writing that uh, blog a few years ago. That's a blast from the past. Um, but uh, yeah, that was actually really fun uh, to, to think about and to kind of lean into research um, as it relates to the importance of of inclusion and, and how that creates a, a more productive uh, workplace. I mean, you know, for example, you know very well, you know, the research, for example, from McKinsey uh, that talks mm-hmm. about, um, you know, diverse companies being, uh, you know, 35% more uh, high performing than non-diverse companies. And so, um, you know, when we talk about you know, productivity, there are a few things that, that, that come to mind uh, for me, especially um, as it relates to um, engaging across lines of difference with respect to work styles, right? Um, being curious about uh, you know what what I can do to support other people in working uh, well, right? Being more mm-hmm. productive because um, at the end of the day, that's what we're here to do. We're here to maximize our time and talents to produce, right? And um, you know, so for example, you know, am I curious about what it takes to assist my teammates in working smarter? 
Um, you know, do I periodically check in and, and ask, hey, you know, what do I do that helps you? What do I do that hinders you? And what uh, can I consider doing differently moving forward that can um, support you and us in working well together? Mm-hmm. I think those questions are really powerful. And, and what they do is they signal that you matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I'm actually interested in perhaps adjusting how I work or being mindful around how I work so, you know, we can work better together. And then hopefully that's reciprocated um, so that we can kind of have, create that culture where we're mindful of of the differences in work style um, that's among us. And also I think being understanding that people operate differently, um, especially for example, if we are uh, in the beginning of uh, welcoming a new person onto the team, um, you know, sometimes uh, we have an urge to, to, to get folks to kind of assimilate to how we operate um, and, and taking a moment to understand, hey, what works best for you and, and understanding mm-hmm. that there's differences there, I think is powerful. And the, the last I would say is resisting the urge to judge. And, and I think we all have a natural tendency to judge things that are different from us. So I think that's super natural for us to do that. And so instead of probably resisting the urge to, to judge because we know what we resist persists <laughs> and instead, you know, just noticing, oh, wait, I, I think I'm, you know, falling in the space of judgment mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, choosing uh, to, to think differently about this, this difference, right? Uh, for example, you know, we might think that, you know, the millennials, right? Oh gosh, they're so unproductive. They're always on social media, or at least we think they are if they're on their phones, right? Or if someone behaves a certain way that conforms to uh, a negative negative stereotype that we might have of them. Um, It can be kind of sometimes difficult to separate the unproductive behavior from the value of the person. And I think sometimes that's really what it's all about, being able to separate um, you know, how I'm perceiving you to be uh, from, from the value that you bring to the business. And so, you know, I always try to just take a pause before uh, those feelings of frustration kind of take mm. over um, and just kind of being understanding uh, of the differences, um, you know, for example, in work styles and things of that nature. So, you know, if I'm able, for example, to influence someone's behavior, I do so constructively because at the end of the day, you know, some people do do things that, that cause, um, you know, me not to be at my best or vice versa. Um, but yeah, I think modeling more productive behaviors, I think can help uh, clearly articulate that there is a better and more productive way of being. But but yeah, so those are some things that I think about when it comes to um, productivity and, and inclusion. Mm. I love getting to do these interviews for the podcast because even though I do all this research, then my thinking changes in real time. And one of the dots that really just connected for me, Tommy, is in, in the three core principles you just outlined, be curious, engage with understanding, resist the desire to judge. Those are the same qualities we need to engage with those who oppose oil and gas or those who prioritize climate change. So these skills are really about building bridges and curiosity in particular, when I hear you saying it is so powerful because engaging difference with curiosity, it just turns on a different part of the brain than the defensiveness or the judgment. So it's just such a lovely way to engage in this work. And it's so consistent 
our, our, our listeners don't have to go grab a whole new skill set to engage in, in, in a really thoughtful way. So thank yeah. you for You're that. You're welcome. And that was really smart. I, I loved how you were able to connect that dot and, and bridge that uh, gap to show because that's exactly what we uh, try to do um, within our organization. Um, every time we talk about inclusion, we, we bridge it back to safety or we bridge it back to uh, building a culture of innovation because I, I firmly mm. believe that it's all connected. And, and I love that you, you, you hinted at or you really um, uh, highlighted curiosity um, because I think that is so important. Um, when I think about curiosity, of course, my, <laughs> my mind goes directly to Brene Brown and, and the way she um, you know, defines curiosity. By the way, Brene is my mentor. She doesn't know she's my mentor. Uh, she doesn't mm. even know I exist. But <laughs> oh, she will, Tommy. <laughs> no, I follow her work and, and I think that she's just informed the way I, I see the world and, and the way I see leadership. And, um, you know, when she talks about curiosity, she says that, you know, we have to on some level have uh, an awareness and an interest on the topic before we can even become curious. Mm. And I think that's powerful because mm. if uh, absent awareness of, you know, a knowledge gap and an interest, right, I actually want to understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. I want to understand more clearly about this, you know, seemingly polar opposite, right, mm -hmm. um, approach to the world, um, like folks who maybe oppose oil and gas, or vice versa, right? Mm -hmm. Those two ingredients are, are, are really key to curiosity. So I just wanted to lift that up, because I think you're just spot on. That. Oh, I love that. And the other amazing thing about curiosity, if you if you say, I'm going to be curious, it, it's an energizing feeling. It's a fun feeling. It's a playful feeling. So it breaks down this like, oh, work hard, difficult, challenging, vulnerable. It's a different, it brings a different lens to this yeah. work. You're so right. You're right. She I love also, that. Yeah, she also says that uh, uh, the brain is primed to learn and retain uh, mm. when we're curious. And so mm. I think you, you you hit on something right there. Magical. Say, yeah, it <laughs> activates something different in our brains. It's oh, different. that's lovely. Well, since we're talking about, I think, something that really pivots well to values, one of the the um, efforts of my work this year is to think about how our oil and gas leaders can bring their values into game-changing leadership. And so I'm curious, 2020 just tested all of us. <laughs> and, and I'm wondering how it tested your values as a leader yourself. Did you have to rethink some of what you brought into this year and change it? Or did you really have the opportunity to double down on, on your, your understanding and your commitment to your own values? Yeah. Oh boy, uh, Tisha, 2020 has been a doozy uh, <laughs> to say the least. And, um, you know, for me, you know, I've always valued learning and growth. And I believe that the events of, of this year has called me personally to double down mm. on, you know, my personal and professional pursuit of knowledge and growth and goodness. Gosh, starting starting with COVID, right, mm -hmm. and spending more time at home than I ever have before. Um, you know, I think many of us probably found found ourselves 
feeling the need to maybe, you know, feel more productive. And, and I went on this whole pursuit. I was listening to, you know, books and podcasts and talks. And I actually um, found another mentor. Again, she doesn't know who I am. <laughs> and, um, but uh, Esther Perel, um, she's a, a relationship therapist. Okay. And, and uh, I really started to lean into her work. Uh, she talks a lot about relationships, both personal and professionally as well. Mm. It's an amazing uh, work out there. Great podcasts too. And so, yeah, I would definitely say that, that for me personally, I've had to double down on, um, mm. you know, my value around learning and growing because what I realized was that um, the organization needed more from me um, mm. as a DI practitioner mm. and I needed uh, to show up in my team. Also, we needed to show up in a way that, that helped uh, you know, the organization understand, helped our employees understand that there's a lot to learn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and luckily, starting with our, our leaders, our senior leaders, everyone really um, went on this pursuit to learn and understand what we don't know, and particularly around um, racial inequity and, and the issues of racism, people mm-hmm. really started to think, you know what, I should know, but I don't. Mm-hmm. And so what, what do I need to understand about what it means to be anti-racist? What, did, what do I under, need to understand about our American history that I didn't get in school because mm-hmm. it wasn't part of our curriculum? Um, and so I think that, you know, starting with myself, really leaning into the value of learning and growth, I think we saw that kind of manifest as well in our company, in our organization. So, mm, And I love that you use the term called to. Because once in a while I get called to do things too, and it it's energizing, but it's never easy. It's the hardest, yeah. scariest, most vulnerable work. And there's no doubt that this year is requiring that of all of us in this area of racial equity and justice. And, and I, I want to put an exclamation point on in 2021, we are responsible to carry this work forward. In, in the absence, knock on wood, of dramatic, more dramatic events, it's, we need to carry this work on with that same calling. Uh, and I know I don't need to tell you this because you're on the path, but I do want to tell our, our audience that, that this work goes on and we continue to, to bring this work forward. Yeah, right on. Absolutely. We will be back to the Energy Thinks podcast momentarily, but if you work in the oil and gas industry, you understand that we are facing a massive set of disruptions that are unprecedented in our lifetime. This pandemic has upended the world in which we operate in. How can oil and gas leaders face these disruptions in ways that aren't just reactive, but proactive? Tisha Schuler's new book, The Game Changers Playbook, How Oil and Gas Leaders Thrive in an Era of Continuous Disruption, is that guide for oil and gas leaders who want to make sense of this moment and chart a better path forward. Order your copy today at energythinks.com backslash game changer. That's energythinks.com backslash game changer. And now back to the show. So let me ask you, um, when we work on diversity, equity, and inclusion within our companies, it feels um, perilous, like, okay, we can't screw this up. But failure is the way we make game-changing moves. And so we have to integrate failure into how we, we, we do this work. 
That's what I would argue. I actually am curious what you think, and you are welcome to disagree or take it in a different direction. What's the role of failure and getting up again in this work within companies? Mm, yes. Oh my goodness. So failure, you're so right, uh, Tisha. I think we should expect it. Um, disappointments, letdowns, mistakes. I mean, especially when we're talking about leading a diverse team and having conversations across lines of difference, pursuing policy and practice changes, you know, that have that have yielded in equitable outcomes, setting forth behavioral expectations for employees, right? Um, mm -hmm. Who may not get it right all the time. We won't, and all of this is hard stuff. And we should expect things to to be a little clunky and to be a little bumpy. We're we're not going to mm -hmm. be perfect. Um, and that's where I think having a, a culture of accountability is so important. And, you know, Tisha, I don't just mean accountability with respect to a metric or a goal, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's foundational. I mean, you, you, you have to have something to, to measure yourself against with respect to progress over time. But I'm also talking about you know, accountability. Again, <laughs> the way uh, thought leaders like Brene Brown talks about accountability, where you own your mistakes, you apologize and you make amends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that type of culture where we're going to expect, uh, you know, people to, to stumble a bit when we're learning and we're growing. I mean, having that level of accountability in your culture, I think that's what pursuing DEI is all about. And mm -hmm. that creates, I think, a culture where people are okay with speaking up. And, and knowing if I don't get it right, it won't be held against me. And mm. we, we know, for example, you know, when, when marginalized, uh, you know, historically marginalized folks, for example, black people, you know, if historically, if, if we've raised our hands and, and maybe said, hey, something doesn't feel right about this, or maybe this practice is yielding some inequitable results here, or you know, being the squeaky, squeaky wheel in any um, shape, uh, way, shape, or form. Whenever we've spoken up, there's been consequences. Mm -hmm. And, you know, facing that reality and, and choosing to create an organizational culture where, you know what, it will be a speak-up culture, not only around safety, not only around innovation, but also if you see something where there could have some inequitable uh, consequences with respect to outcomes based on factors like race, gender, let's talk about them. Mm. That's so powerful. You just gave me a big connect the dot moment around, we were started with failure and we pivoted quickly into accountability. And of course that seems scary on its face. The, I'm gonna fail and I'll be held accountable. But what's so magical about what you said is in creating these accountable cultures, part of what we're accountable for is to apologize for our mistakes and make amends, not get run out of town for the mistakes, but apologize, make amends, re-engage, do better next time. There's like an iterative quality to this accountability that's, I think, at least what I'm hearing and thinking about is really important to making progress and creating a deep enduring culture a deep enduring, enduring speak up culture to use your words. Did I, do you think I, I caught that right or did I miss some of that? I think, I think you nailed it. Um, and, you know, being able to model that as a leader 
um, is I think the first step and perhaps, you know, one of the hardest things for us to do because, you know, as leaders, you know, we, we don't apologize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we, we get it right all the time. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, I think we all um, realize that we don't. And being a leader who is, is able and willing to, to say that, I think goes a long way. And I've tried in, in my little old way, <laughs> I've tried <laughs> to kind of create that culture within my own team. You know, for mm-hmm. example, um, you know, when we were for, first forming, um, I'm sure they, they thought I was a little wacky, but um, ha- have you actually heard, uh, Tisha, of the five love languages? No, but it sounds like something I would like. Do tell. <laughs> I think so. So, so Gary Chapman and team, um, they uh, did some research and, and they uh, published this book called The Five Love Languages. And basically, um, we all speak a variety of different languages, but there's probably like a primary and secondary way that we really receive the language of love, right? Um, and, and building upon that, they also have, um, they've done some research and they've published books on the five languages of apology and the five uh, languages of workplace appreciation. And, and so in, in an effort to create this culture of accountability where we own our mistakes and apologize and make amends, I was like, hey, y'all, y'all wanna take this apology quiz? <laughs> They're like, yeah. And you know, that way, you know, I know what it, what it looks like and feels like and sounds like uh, for you, um, you know, as it relates to how you really receive apology. Because what that signaled was, I'm going to mess up. And I actually said, hey, y'all, I'm going to mess up. Mm-hmm. And you're going to mess up too. And what I'd love is to create a culture where we can own up to those mistakes, apologize in a way that speaks to our languages, right? Mm-hmm. And and then move on because I want us to think about things differently. I want us to be um, innovative and I want us to call one another out on some stuff, you know, and, and do it of course with love and respect. And, and so that's the kind of the culture that I wanted to build on my team. And so I, I hope, I hope we're doing that. I think we're doing that. Okay. Mm, that's such a great example. And we will link um, to that book in the show notes. So you won't have to remember it. And I will be putting that on my um, short-term reading list. Cause that sounds amazing. Um, so you gave us a lot for leaders in, in that last discussion. And I'm just wondering, you've worked with a lot of leaders, both established leaders, emerging leaders, people new to, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, people who are, are quite sophisticated for, for this upcoming year, what advice do you have for people where they are in their journey to empower more successful, enduring conversations in this work? Man, yeah, I, I would encourage us to be bold and be clear. You know, mm. be be unapologetic about what DEI means to you and, and to your organization. And then be clear about what we're looking to achieve and the expectations around it. I I, I think you know, especially with respect to the expectations, mm-hmm. um, sometimes we can be a little bit unclear. And, um, you know, for example, you know, what exactly are we looking to achieve? Or what am I being held accountable to? Um, if I'm being held accountable to, you know, particular metrics, well, help me understand, you know, how to get there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of my job is to 
help to formulate you know, uh, accountability metrics that make sense, um, that help us get to where we need to be. And then more important, you know, give you information and give you ways and strategies to, to get there. So for example, you know, if we know that we wanna reflect the communities that we live in and serve in our uh, representation of our workforce, then you know, if that's our goal, then as a hiring manager, I need to give you strategies to work with talent acquisition, for example, mm-hmm. uh, to, to look in places that we historically haven't for talent, um, to be open to, uh, you know, uh, casting the net wider in, in, in a variety of different ways, to get as much, uh, you know, great talent into the pipeline as possible. And then I need to also help you understand where bias can come into play with respect to uh, making that talent decision through the interview process, through the debriefing process, and also give you, for example, you know, information um, that Harvard gives us with respect to the, the research they did when they said that, hey, they found out that when you look at the pool of finalists, if there's only one diverse person, for example, in that pool, guess what? The likelihood of them being hired is zero. Hmm. But, if, but if you expand it to just to get you know two or three or however many in the pool it actually doesn't matter how large that finalist pool gets right it increases the likelihood that we might um, select someone who uh, first and foremost is rock star (laughs) because that's always the goal Um, you know and and we can perhaps you know cast that net in a way that brings someone into the organization that historically hasn't uh, been considered uh, part of the the fold so those I think are, are, are pieces of advice that I would uh, give folks both established and emerging, really be bold and mm. be clear about what it is that we're looking to achieve. I love that. Um, switching to, to, to our, our wrap up personal section, I learned uh, through our exhaustive research that you're an NCAA D1 women's basketball referee, which is so cool. And this is just a shameless question. So I could mention that. (laughs) I love it. How does that experience inform your work as a leader in this space? Yeah. Oh my goodness. So I, you know, if I could point to a lot of different things in my upbringing, um, I would point to uh, the fact that growing up in a teaming environment, growing up in sports uh, really did help, I think, uh, me uh, build, start building the skills needed to to be an effective teammate um, and and really to appreciate diversity. I mean, you know, you had to learn to get get along with a whole lot of different people. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to work well together. You had to acknowledge other people's strengths. You had to play to their strengths. You know, you had to learn how to be accountable. Um, you had to learn to lead. You had to learn to follow. I mean, goodness, mm-hmm. I think growing up in sports uh, for me just was such an invaluable experience. And so when I think about, you know, being an official, right? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> the only time I let people yell at me uh, <laughs> is when I'm <laughs> wearing stripes. But it takes a ton of self, self-discipline and, um it takes a ton of practice in mm-hmm. regulating my own emotions mm-hmm. in the heat of the moment. And, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, when you've got a player or a coach, you know, standing inches away from you <laughs> who are, they're voicing their displeasure about a decision you made. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard not to react and it's hard not to take it personally. 
And, you know, when their emotions escalate, you know, I use mindfulness techniques to really kind of regulate my own physiological response so that I can actually respond appropriately because, mm-hmm. you know, on the court, you know, the, the players and the coaches, they kind of get, they get, you know, they get to respond how they get to respond. <laughs> and mm-hmm. as an official, I'm actually held to a higher standard, right? Mm-hmm. And that served me well in the professional setting. Because, you know, DEI, it can be very uh, emotional, mm-hmm. the topic. And, you know, I've had people, you know, yeah, express strong emotion. And I welcome that because I understand that that's part of the experience of, of, of talking about DEI, wrestling with these topics. Um, and in fact, I'll share um, kind of at a high level. I remember there was this one instance that um, I had a very uh, unpleasant emotional encounter with an executive in a meeting Mm. Um, and there were other executives present like a number of them Mm -hmm. and this person took issue with an initiative uh, that I was leading for pride month and I mean he went in (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I was like whoa and um, you know this person was just basically expressing you know their displeasure and um I could have taken it personally and I could have responded in like manner, um, mm-hmm. but I really did in that moment lean into those uh, mindfulness skills and I chose mm-hmm. to self-regulate and I realized that this person actually felt that their core beliefs were being threatened and the resistance wasn't necessarily personal to me, but um, nonetheless, I had to manage um, my emotions in that regard and I was able to respond uh, with a clear head, with a cool response. Um, and I think that that was a moment when you know, I was able to meet that emotion um, with a logical, clear-headed response mm-hmm. that I think uh, you know, helped to navigate the, the conversation beyond the emotion that the person was mm-hmm. expressing at the time. So, very, very powerful example that you just gave. I didn't expect my, uh, my throwaway question to be so good. So thank <laughs> you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> So tell us about for 2021 in a pragmatic way, what are you working on yourself to change the game? Are are there some things, are there some changes you're making to your own leadership style for 2021 um, to to increase our impact and the durability of this work? Yeah, so when I think about my own leadership style, obviously I'm a continued work in progress as I think all of us are. Mm -hmm. I think I'm allowing myself to become uh, more and more vulnerable. Um, Mm. And, uh, you know, I figure if I'm going to continue to ask leaders to do that, (laughs) I should probably Mm. expect that from myself Mm. a little bit more. And um, it's difficult, you know, it's, it's challenging, especially for, for the introvert in me, Um, Mm -hmm. not necessarily as, as open and quick to open up, but um, being mindful uh, and sharing, what I need to share in order to allow people to know that it's safe to share with me. And of course, respectfully within boundaries, Mm -hmm. um, the professional boundaries, um, I think is important. And also, you know, sharing with the level of, of, of understanding that not everybody has reserved the right to hear your story. Um, But, but nonetheless, I think vulnerability for me is, is important. And that's something that I'd like to continue to, to get better at. Because mm-hmm. I think that'll help um, continue to 
uh, for me to help the organization continue to meet the moment. I love that. I, I've been making one of my um, goals for the next year, courage, but I think it, that actually is just a cover for vulnerability now that I hear you speak. So I think, um, I think you're right. The, the, it's just the secret key to transformative work when we're, when we're helping to lead deep change. So uh, thank you for, for sharing that. So last question for you, what are you looking forward to either personally or professionally? What's, what's coming up that you're looking forward to? Oh man. So I'm looking forward to the calendar kind of flipping mm -hmm. <laughs> into the new year. Um, I was actually on Instagram, like one of some time ago, and I saw this meme. It said something like, what do we think things are going to change in 2021 or something to that effect? And I'm like, I'm hopeful that things are going to continue to, to get better. And, um, you know, despite the challenges, the ups and downs of this year, and boy, it feels like there's been just a lot, a lot of downs. Um, in the midst of, of all of this, I'm hopeful, Tisha. I'm, I'm hopeful because people uh, like the folks at our company, at Southern Company Gas, uh, people in our communities, um, people, for example, who are uh, ensuring that everybody um, has the opportunity to engage in the political process equitably, mm -hmm. um, to have their voices heard. People are really rising to the occasion. And I do believe that 2021 is going to be better. And, um, and so that's what I'm actually looking forward to. I'm, I'm looking forward to us leaving behind uh, the challenges, the, the challenges and darkness of 2020 and to really continue to kind of elevate who we are as people, um, as members of teams and who we are really as a humanity. Mm, that's perfect. Tommy, thank you so much for your time today. I've learned so much. I can't wait to continue to digest this and learn more. It's been wonderful having you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me today. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Tommy Paris for taking the time to share her insights with us. You know what was a game-changing insight for me? It was thinking about failure and accountability differently. That's really going to inform my thinking going forward. Uh, I'm interested what you thought was a game-changing insight. Um, we want to know what you think about this podcast and our work um, at Adam and Teen. So just check us out at energythinks.com slash podcast and let us know. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and the other major podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, please take a second and give us a rating. Thanks for listening to the Energy Thinks podcast. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler. Wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.